Next, this month's special series focus on neurology and psychiatry. Throughout the month of March, ReachMD welcomes an array of experts to explore developments in neuroscience and mental health. Research has shown that current smoking is associated with suicide. Recently, our guest has cited evidence that stopping smoking may lead to depression and possibly an increased risk of suicide. Some of the most common medications used for smoking cessation are also increasingly associated with suicide. What is a clinician to do? You're listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Focus on Psychiatry. I'm your host, Dr. Leslie Lunt, and with me today is Dr. John Hughes, Professor of Psychiatry, Psychology, and Family Practice at the University of Vermont. Dr. Hughes is a co-founder and past president of the Society for Research on Nicotine and Tobacco and the Association for the Treatment of Tobacco Use Independence. His major focus has been clinical research on tobacco use. In fact, he has over 350 publications and is one of the top 25 most cited tobacco scientists. Dr. Hughes, welcome to ReachMD. Thanks. Both smoking and stopping smoking can lead to suicide? Yeah, um, sounds strange, doesn't it? Yeah, I'm totally confused. Well, let me see what I can do to clarify. So, first of all, smoking is associated with suicide. So, smokers have anywhere from two to ten times the likelihood of either suicidal ideation or actually committing suicide. This may not be causal. It may be because smokers are just not healthy, both physically and psychologically. So, for example, People who become smokers have low self-esteem, they have lots of mood swings, they are impulsive as kids, so those traits that predispose them to be a smoker might also predispose them to committing suicide. So one idea is that it's just a kind of a false association. The second idea is that nicotine in cigarettes actually decreases serotonin, and we know that low serotonin levels are associated with suicide and aggressiveness. So that is one possible causal way that that could happen. And then lastly, some people think that part of the reason people smoke is to self-medicate an existing depression. So people that are depressed, they find out that smoking or nicotine has antidepressant effects, and so they're more likely to become smokers. So those are three very different uh, possibilities. Now, what evidence do we have for any of this? Well, the evidence for the antidepressant effects of nicotine is actually pretty good. So, for example, in animal studies, the test that they use to screen for whether a drug is an antidepressant, nicotine looks like an antidepressant in it. And then there are actually people in Europe that are giving nicotine on top of antidepressants and showing that it potentiates or improves the success rates with antidepressants. So there's actually some some pretty good data for that. I'm still a little confused in that if you can actually self-medicate your depression with nicotine, why would smoking be associated with suicide? It seems like stopping smoking, yeah, that, that makes sense. The idea is you can self-medicate it some, but it's not a complete. Ah. Just like if you took everybody that's on antidepressants, mm-hmm. they're going to be more depressed than the normal population mm-hmm. just because antidepressants don't fix it all. And then I also forgot that there's another explanation that's very interesting, and that is it's your genes. So, for example, people have done studies that have shown the same set of gene that predisposes you to depression also predisposes you to smoking. 
well. So there may be some genetic diathesis that, you know, maybe it causes you to have, like I said, low self-esteem. And that low self-esteem results both in suicide and in smoking. So again, the theory behind smoking cessation and suicide is that now you're not getting the antidepressant effects from the nicotine. Right. That's one possibility. The second is that once you become addicted to cigarettes, when you stop, you have a withdrawal syndrome. And part of that withdrawal syndrome is depression. And so there's the notion that you're doing okay, and then you stop smoking, and the stress of stopping and the withdrawal symptoms of being depressed rekindles a past depression, makes you depressed, and then you commit suicide. And although that, that makes sense, the actual data don't really show increased suicide very much when people quit smoking. So you would think that would occur Logically makes sense, but we don't see a whole lot of that. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Focus on Psychiatry from ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. John Hughes, the recipient of the Ove Furno Award for Research in Nicotine Dependence and the Alton Ochsner Award Relating Smoking and Health. We are discussing smoking and suicide. Dr. Hughes, what about the smoking cessation meds and suicide? How does that work? First of all, we don't have any evidence that nicotine replacement therapy itself is associated with suicide. The next medicine that that came available is bupropion, which is an atypical antidepressant. And although bupropion hasn't been associated with suicide among smokers, it has gotten the same black box warning about suicides that all antidepressants have gotten. And then we had another medicine that was being developed called Romanabon. It was a cannabinoid antagonist, okay? It's been used for obesity over in Europe because, you know, marijuana gives you the munchies, so if you had a cannabinoid antagonist, it might actually decrease your hunger. And in those studies, in those randomized controlled trials, there was good evidence that receiving Romanabon actually increased suicide compared to placebo. Very strong evidence there. And in fact, Romanabon is not going to be marketed in the U.S. because of that for either obesity or smoking. And then the last one, of course, is Varenicline. And Varenicline is, or Chantex is the brand name, is a partial agonist. So it's on the receptor, but doesn't activate it very much. It's like taking out a 100-watt light bulb and putting in a 75-watt light bulb. But because it sits on the receptor, it blocks nicotine. So it both blocks nicotine but gives enough activity that still relieves craving and withdrawal. And there weren't any suicides really seen in the trials leading up to approval. Since then, there's been some reports. And the problem with interpreting them is that, one, smokers, as I mentioned, are not psychologically healthy to begin with. And then secondly, there's been 5 million prescriptions of Chantix. So we get these reports, and we don't know if they're causally related. I tend to think not, in part because it's hard for me to understand why a partial nicotine agonist like Runklin would do this when a full agonist like nicotine patch and gum has not been seen to do that. But most people now are saying to go ahead and screen smokers, you know, if they have a past history of suicide or a past history of severe depression, Probably good that they try uh, NRT first before trying Verlincon. NRT meaning nicotine receptor therapy? It was actually called nicotine replacement, replacement therapy. therapy. Yeah. Right. And basically the best 
NRT is giving somebody patch plus either gum or lozenge at the same time. So it is interesting that NRT is not associated with increased suicide. Right. In fact, the few studies that have been done, the suicide rate was actually less in the people who got the NRT. So you're right, it's a very confusing area. You know, I mean, why, if nicotine's an antidepressant, why would a partial nicotine agonist cause suicide? Biologically or logically, these things don't make a lot of sense. So that's why it's, it's sort of a confusing area at this point. Okay, well, let's go back to my original question, and that is, what is a poor clinician to do? We have a smoker. Clearly, we know smoking's bad for you. People need to stop. What's the best approach now? 2009, how do you deal with this, given all this information that you've told us? Veroniclin does look like it's better than our other medications to some extent. So I think if you have somebody new, I suggest giving them a choice of either patch, nicotine patch, plus gum or lozenge, that's one choice, that's the best NRT, or Vereniclin, which is a non-NRT. And, you know, many people have already failed the patch in the gum, so they want to go to the Vereniclin to try something different. And I think that's fine if they have a past history of depression or aggression or suicidal ideation. I think I would want to make sure that they had failed on a good try at patch plus gum or patch plus lozenge before I did the Veroniclin. But I think even then they can do the Veroniclin. You just have to monitor them a little more closely. Give them the Veroniclin. They try to quit. Three or four days later, you call them on the phone, say, how are you doing? Are you getting depressed or having any problems? Every week or so, give them a call and see how they're doing. And I think if you monitor them closely, that you can still use the Veroniclin in that situation. Can you use NRT plus Veroniclin? You could, but it wouldn't make sense because if Veronicline is blocking the effects of nicotine, it really doesn't make sense to add the gum or the patch on top of it. Now, what about with Veronicline in our practice, the most difficult problem we've had with this medicine and people trying to stop smoking have been the crazy dreams. Are those associated with suicidal ideation? Not really, although the crazy dreams may be withdrawal. They may not be the Veronicline. Because what happens, one of the withdrawal symptoms is insomnia that's waking up. It's not so much having trouble going to sleep, it's waking up during the night. And as you know, if you wake up a lot, you remember the dreams more because dreams occur right as you wake up. So that is a very common one. The other common one is nausea. Both of those, you know, you can titrate up slower than need be. So sometimes these people, we just cut back on the dose and we say, look, instead of quitting four days from now after starting the Veronica, and let's just push the quit date back for another week or two and get you more used to the Veronica before you quit. And that's a fine thing to do. Is it possible to increase the dose above what the FDA suggests? Might that help? It might, although we don't have much experience with increasing the dose. And because when we increase the dose, we tend to get the nausea. The nausea is very dose-related. So if you were to do that, I think you would really want to titrate up very slowly. Now, you didn't mention bupropion. Where does that fit in nowadays? Well, I'm not sure where it does fit in. I think we have two studies that have shown that Veronicline is better than bupropion. And, you know, that's unusual to show that one drug is better than another drug, at least in our area. So it clearly shows that Veronicline is better, and I can't see a reason to give bupropion over Veronicline. Can you add both of them? You could. They may work differently. We don't know, but I think I would rather just give Veronica a good shot 
first. And define a good shot. What is an adequate trial in, in your estimation? I think an adequate trial is somebody who takes it every day while they're not using it and even after they're not using it. I think one of the biggest mistakes that people make with these medicines is, especially with NRT, is they go back to smoking. They smoke one or two cigarettes and they stop using the patch or the gum or whatever. And we found out that actually that's the most important time to continue taking the medicine. So don't assume it's a failure if you've relapsed a tiny bit. A tiny bit. In fact, Studies show that that's where nicotine replacement has its biggest effect. So, for example, I do addiction psychiatry. If we have a heroin addict and they're on a dose of methadone and they're failing, we don't say stop the methadone. We increase the dose. So I think it's just very important to tell your patients that, you know, if you start to slip, please keep taking the medicine. Okay, that that's really a sign that you need the medicine. Right. Okay. Now... Any other tips that you have, you know, obviously, at least in my estimation, helping our patients stop smoking is probably the most beneficial thing we can do as far as their entire life goes. Any other tips on how primary care docs especially can handle this very difficult problem in their patients? Got to remember that the main thing that distinguishes people who quit and don't quit is how often they try. For most people, they say three or four times, but if you actually talk about to smokers, they don't count the four times that they, quote, really didn't try, close quote. So for many people, it takes seven or eight attempts, and I think our job as primary care physicians is to prompt more quit attempts. And I think that can be done very diplomatically. You can just say, you know, we've talked about smoking in the past. Have you thought about it anymore, thought about quitting? And most of the time, they're going to say no. Even then, you can say, well, look, if you ever decide you want to quit, I would love to help you out. There's some medicines. Come back and see me, and let's see if I can help you out. And I think that's the most important thing because people quit smoking when they hear that many different people want them to do that. So you as the doctor saying something is very important. In fact, our exit interviews of smokers say that all smokers expect the doctor to ask them, and when the doctor doesn't ask them, the smoker says he's not as good of a doctor as they thought. So they expect this. Okay, so quick review. So important to ask about smoking, important to recommend that they quit, offer to assist in terms of medication, nicotine replacement therapy is still good, use varenicline if they're not at risk for suicide. Is that a fair estimation? That's a very good summary. Okay, fantastic. Thank you so much for being on our show today. You're welcome. We've been honored to have Dr. John Hughes from the University of Vermont to talk about smoking, stopping smoking, and suicide. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to Focus on Psychiatry on ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. ReachMD, online, on demand, and on air. Please visit us at our website, reachmd.com, and thank you for listening. You've been listening to this month's special series focused on neurology and psychiatry. For a program guide, complete list of shows, and podcasts, please visit us at ReachMD.com. And download ReachMD's free iPhone app, Medical Radio, to listen to the same live stream of ReachMD medical news and information you enjoy on XM160, plus CME and thousands of searchable podcasts. Get the Medical Radio app today.